everyone and welcome to the Information Entropy Podcast, the show where we take some confusing scientific topic and make it digestible for anyone to understand. Science in theory, but comedy in practice. Last week we took a bit of a, a well, a, a massive left turn on the topic that was meant to be senses and really never found our way back to the main road, instead discussing how the human brain might function in our perceptive sense. I suppose it was sense-related. So if that sounds interesting, go back and check that out, as this week we have returned to our senses to finish the job so we can move on to another topic. You can follow us on Twitter at InfoEntropyPod, Instagram, InformationEntropyPod, and Spotify, iTunes, wherever you're listening to this thing. Uh, Well, you're already there, so drop us a follow, and if you don't mind, a rating absolutely helps us out massively. I'm Tom Jenks, I've stopped rambling, and I'm joined, as per usual, by Mitchell Gatting. How are you, mate? Hello, I'm doing all right. How are you? How are you? How are you, how are you doing? Yeah, you good? yeah not too bad. Yeah, I'm, good. I'm fantastic. <laughs> good yeah. to hear. We did get very much off topic. We can't, we've done it a few times, I think. It was like, a, yeah, but never for the whole show. <laughs> no, no. Um, no. It was impressive. It was actually. very much but impressive. It was kind of linked to senses, so oh, I don't 100%. feel too bad about you know going down that tangent. It was more like perception. Yeah, exactly. Like kind of perceiving the world and how the brain perceives the world, which I always think is very, you know, important to discuss because it's different for everybody. Oh yeah. And I remember. Yeah, I remember 100%. something after we finished recording. That's my my little tidbit that people don't realize. Um, depending on your emotions can actually change your perception on like color and how you view things. So people who, uh, have, who are, who have depression or have had it in the past, if you are currently in a depressive, depressive stage or you're going through depression, you actually see the world darker and the colors are like dimmer shades. Yeah. So you know, like you see in popular culture, the person like looking out the window, or the person sat in a dark room, and like they just turn the saturation down to make me like, oh, this person's sad. That actually is a phenomenon that happens, which it's crazy to think about. Just like it's you, absolutely you're, you're like, wild. Say. Yeah, to say it's just your emotions is to diminish it a bit a little bit because there's a lot more going on in depression than just your emotions. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the th- whatever is happening in your brain. It's causing you to to lose colour. It's madness. It's absolute madness, to be honest. What what goes on upstairs? Yeah. It's a bit of existential crisis if you start (laughs) thinking about it too much. Like, is that colour... Is that red actually that dim? Mm. Or am I just feeling a bit blue? Yeah. You know? And then we get... And it's... One of my uh, granddads got me with this when I was quite young and it blew my mind. But he tried to explain to me how we see color to be like that ball is red but it isn't red it only just reflects the color red so surely it's all the colors but red i understand the point but i think because <laughs> a color right we, we associate the it. color exactly yeah the yeah. color is the things that it reflects yeah. so it is just using color, like a really I understand what you mean. Like, wonky way of explaining how light works. And light yeah. comes as everything and then reflects it or emits it. 
because I always forget like screens. <laughs> there isn't yes. things like bouncing screens. The screens emit color and light. Wait, but that's another thing that gets people is like if you see Vsauce did an amazing video on this. Uh, he was holding up a banana and he was like, "This isn't yellow," because obviously all our screens are RGB. Not all, all screens. Not all screen. Okay. But most, the highest probability is that yeah. the screen you were watching that video on it's just a mix, yeah, so is it's RGB. Mix, yeah. So, mm. yeah, really cool. Another one. Just had to trick the brain. Yeah, is is something to do with, I can't remember which way around it is, but brown not being an actual colour and just being like a darker shade of orange. <laughs> that one that one was like, what? But then you look and if you just get orange and then just make it darker, you eventually get brown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think again it's like is that, that just, is, is that, true but is that but just like makes it brown? it's a very common thing it's a common enough color to have it as a separate defined thing it is indeed it is indeed like light blue and dark blue okay yeah or you know indigo but close enough yeah exactly navy blue teal all of these teal oh. <laughs> the, the teal classic argument. teal the classic teal argument comes up again yeah. Um, so yeah, if you want to hear us get sidetracked like we, we have been doing, head to last episode. Nothing but sidetrack. Fantastic stuff. Yeah. But not just like rambly sidetrack. Like interesting. Oh no, it was focused. Synthasia, yeah, yeah. intelligence, aphantasia, hyperphantasia, all these yeah. fantasiac words. Like we had notes for what we were speaking about. <laughs> yeah, it just didn't true. come up at the time we intended it to. So, it's you true. know. Yeah. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the ramblings of crazy, crazy people. <laughs> At least I hope not. Well. <laughs> Sorry, but I don't know if you guys can hear this, but upstairs, people are dropping things left and right. I was going right. to ask you if your next door neighbor was smashing pans around their kitchen again. Uh, no, it doesn't seem like anyone's cooking pasta, so there's no pasta throwing, but there is just repeated dropping of things upstairs. <laughs> so apologies if that's coming through. Someone's just- learning to juggle. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Perfect timing. Yeah, perfect timing. All right. Um, have you got any news this week? I do have some news. What's yeah. tickled your fancy? Um, I had to look at some space news because that always tickles my fancy. Uh, and I realised it's mainly space news that I focus on because that's what I like passively just read. Like that's what right. comes up and what I what I browse. So I'm like, oh, that's yeah. interesting. I'll I'll earmark that for the pod. But the one I what caught my eye this week was to do with uh, the impact on space and bones. And a researcher recently tracked 17 astronauts, 14 of which were men and three were women, on the average age of 47, who spent four to six, six, four to seven months in space and had a look at their bone density uh, and bone strength. So right. over six months in space, you experience the equivalent of two decades of aging on your bones. Damn. Like two, that's, that's 20 years for every six months. And that's a lot. it takes a year to recover essentially a decade. So it's not gone oh, forever. So you, recover, you, can, okay. you can recover it because essentially... Bones are, well, they're like a living organ, aren't they? Because they're constantly yeah. like uh, replenishing themselves, remodeling, rebuilding, fuse, fusing. Yeah, you, you can fuse bones, can't you? 
Um, you can, but it's not ideal. It's not ideal, and you need metal to hold it in place so it doesn't yeah, fuse in a, you in a wonk. Yeah, them fused, yeah. <laughs> you don't want your arm to have a bend in it. Um, but yeah, it, it, and I was, it's something you don't think about. And going back to our... It's something that we didn't talk about on our issues of space travel was actually the effect on the, like, on bones. Because we yeah. just assume that if we're going that far in space, we're going to have artificial gravity. That that gets around this issue. Because if you have artificial gravity, you've got the right pressures pushing down on the right way. So it keeps everything, you know, strong. But yeah, yeah it's something like, yeah, like the shin bones. It's something that a lot of sci-fi shows overlook um aside apart from the expanse yes i was was about to say that aside from the expanse where it is a direct plot point yeah Mm -hmm. and so and i think it's pretty pretty accurate as long as what we know so far yeah because if you're the effects of gravity and is it a spacer what because you have people that live in space like fully always live in space and you've got the people that live on the belt yeah belters who have some gravity but not the same as Earth, and then you've got the Martians, and it's like if yes. a belter goes to Earth, it's <laughs> they use it as a form of torture, which I think is incredibly harsh. But they yeah, essentially stand nasty. him up and leave him outside and be like, you will tell us what the numbers mean. It's like, all right. It's crushing bones over here. Yeah. Cheap, because you, you have to do anything. But um... Well, that's true. <laughs> Check on them once in a while, you know. It's environmentally friendly torture. <laughs> so bad. Well, that's the world we're heading into. Uh, yeah, like, don't cancel me because we're torturing people. Cancel me because uh, we're not being environmentally friendly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, what, what was your space news? That what? That what? Oh yeah. You, sorry, <laughs> I do. I, I focus so much on the sidetrack. I was like, okay, let's get back to you. But yeah, you said it. Yeah, the bones. The bones. Yeah, Five bones connected to you. That's not what I thought. I didn't think it did deteriorate that quickly. Yeah. But it's like, good that it comes back kind of quickly as well. Six months is not long. No, it's to not. 20 and years lots of people have spent quite a lot of time up there as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Or oh, the ISS. I, I presume this is the ISS. Yes. Studies. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have any relevant news this week. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. That's fair but enough. I'm going to derail us a little bit. Oh, go for it. I'm ready. Oh, and I'm going to return to a topic that I promised I would last week for the first time that I'm remembering to come back to something that I said I would, where I mentioned an experiment where someone tried to tame or domesticate foxes and see how long it would actually take to go from a wild <sighs> yes. specimen mm-hmm. to like fully domesticated um animal right as we did with dogs that was the kind of okay we started with wolves and now we have fully domesticated dogs how did we get there so he tried it with foxes and this is a guy called dmitry believ soviet zoologist 1959 so i apologize if i've butchered the name mm-hmm. um so basically there's a thing called domestication syndrome right Okay. Which refers to a change of phenotypic traits when they're compared to their original wild counterparts. For example, dogs have 15% smaller brains than wolves. We think because they just, you know, <laughs> their life's a bit easier, mm-hmm. you know. 
Uh, floppy ears, maybe, because they don't need to have their ears up all the time. Coat coloration, because in the wild having, like, a grey coat, if you're in snow, is advantage, not a black and brown spotty one. Yeah. Um, the less aggressive, obviously, is a big one for domestication. So, yeah, in 1959, Dimitri began selectively breeding silver foxes. Now, those that were least afraid of people were chosen to reproduce. That was basically what he was looking at. Just going for aggressiveness and tone that down. Mm-hmm. And his goal was to simulate the process that turned, as I said, ancient wolves into dogs. Yes. And it worked really well. Famously well, in fact. It took 10 generations of foxes. Okay. So, about 20 years. Not even, really. Uh, but in 1979 is when he, he pulled up some of his uh, results. So they became tame. They started seeking attention from people and wagging their tails when scientists approach. Mm-hmm. Now, this wasn't the only way that they changed. As I said, in 79, he noted that foxes had begun to look different as well, developing curly tails. Maybe they're getting spotting on their coats, floppy ears. And other scientists started noticing these in other domesticated species. Pigs, goats, bird, fish. And that's kind of how we... Well, we didn't stumble upon domestication syndrome then, because Charles Darwin actually introduced the the idea. But it was at least like, okay, this is the first time we've measured this in action. Mm -hmm. We've got 10 generations of foxes here with the data to back it up. So... Yeah, maybe if it's fully focused domestication, it doesn't actually take that long to do it. But as with all science, uh, there are some people who are like, oh, you know, actually it wasn't that good because were they truly wild foxes in the first place? Uh, But that research only came out three years ago and we're, you know, it's the first one to kind of challenge it in 60 years. So Mm -hmm. we'll have to see who else comes out in support of that. But yeah, so if you want a fox, go grab one. No, please do not go grab a fox. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't do, want to. Do not do that. Mating season um, is an absolute calamity. Like, oh, if I you bet. live in, if you live in a big city and there's gardens around, you're not sure if someone's being murdered or if the the foxes <laughs> are boning again. It is truly like in because I used to live in Bournemouth. Uh, there was loads of foxes because there's lots of green spaces as well as it being a bit of a city. Uh, not a city, didn't get to say there's just a really big town, seaside town. Uh, but there would be so many foxes just boning down and screaming wow. all the time. Uh, dear me. You just reminded me of something actually, with the whole breeding the whole breeding thing and like domestication. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was really interesting, really good, is there a Dutch breeder I'm not sure if you've seen this, is trying to re-engineer French Bulldogs' faces to make them healthier. Yes, I have come across this, not like in a scientific mm-hmm. way, but just more like a, uh, don't buy French Bulldogs because, you know. Yeah, so they there are there's some breed breeders who are Dutch who kind of are trying to reverse the damage caused because it was really popular to have them really flat faces. And I have no idea why. They look, yeah. It do, they don't look good. <laughs> I just don't. I don't get what it is. But it's the 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 issue with really flat faces on French bulldogs is they have a um what's the name for it? 
brachyphiliac airway obstructive syndrome, uh, which means that they just can't breathe. And yeah. if it's not treated, it just kills them. They just die. And with their like limited short breathing, along with their single short coat, they, it means they can't regulate their body temperature efficiently. Because it's not just breathing, because it's, and trying to get air in the lungs, it's how dogs regulate their own temperature. It's, it's through, exactly, it's yeah, they don't sweat. They don't sweat. Um, but yeah, so some, some, some people in the Netherlands are currently doing the reverse. So I guess they, they are finding great. dogs, well, the French Bulldogs that have the longer faces and then breeding them with ones that also have long faces and to try and keep that up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I saw people doing that with pugs as well. Yes. And I saw an image post where they were like dogs 100 years ago compared to now. Yeah. So like dogs from 19, obviously 20s, things like that. And mm-hmm. the pugs really did have a longer snout. I, th- I thought they looked much better personally. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, hopefully the problem is that they've all, even if you pick the ones with the longer snouts, maybe in the future there'll still be kind of some genes for issues like breathing issues but hopefully if that's the only thing the only trait that's causing the, these problems yeah just there bringing is, them to have longer snouts will help there is um they're trying to do something i can't remember if they're trying to add them to a list or remove them from a list to make them less desirable because currently the ah, flat okay. faces are, are a desirable trait caused by well if you have a look at crufts or any international dog competition the ones with the flat faces always win. And they, they think they're trying to remove them from like a pedigree list. Right, okay. So, then, so they then, can't be entered. Yeah, so they can't be entered. They're not wanted as much and that'll stop the, you know, the flat faces, hopefully. Oh, okay. Well, that'd be good. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So, senses. Let's return to our senses. Let's return to our for senses. For the third show in a row and mm-hmm. then we'll move on to something else. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I got a fact. Oh yeah, and it was a bit weird to think about it, but it is true. Okay. So we don't have a sense to sense wetness. Like our bodies do not have receptors, do not have the ability to tell if something is wet or not. I would disagree with the statement. <laughs> No, no, this is scientific papers have come out on this. So you're trying to tell me that if I poked a sponge, I wouldn't know that it's wet. It's a perceptual illusion that you learned is wet, but you don't have receptors in your hands going to detect water. You don't have receptors in your skin to go, that's water, that's wet. Okay, so to be highly specific, we don't have H2O receptors. Yeah, but you don't have hands. anything to sense liquid and be like, oh, that's liquid. I 100% so, disagree with this. But you can't I, disagree. I, I, it's literal science. No, no, I can understand where you're coming from, but I, I disagree with the whole... The, the, t- the title is what I'm disagreeing with, not the science. Okay, well, let me, let me go through this yeah, and explain go for it. Maybe, maybe it will come a bit more clear. So they think it's a perceptual illusion our brain evokes based on prior experiences that we have learned are wet. So this comes from research at the Loughborough University and Oxylane Research Labs. They propose that the wetness perception is intertwined with our ability to sense cold temperature and tactile sensations such as pressure and texture. 
They hypothesize that because hairy skin is more sensitive to thermal stimuli, it would be more perceptive to wetness than glabrous skin, like palms of your hands, soles of your feet, which is more sensitive to tactile stimuli. And they tested this on, I think, around 30 people. And they changed what they were touching, the texture of it. They changed the temperature of the item, both cold, uh, both wet and dry. Mm -hmm. And they found that wet perception increased as temperature decreased, meaning subjects were more likely to sense cold wet stimuli than warm or neutral wet stimuli. Like if you think about if you're touching some uh, water, Um, a glass of water that's body temperature, right? Or room temperature, you don't know that you're even touching water really unless that you look at it no um the research team also found that the subjects were less sensitive to wetness when the nerve activity was blocked and that hairy skin is more sensitive to wetness than glabrous skin as they said so basically earlier on in that did you say you just can't tell temperature and that that it's only it's learnt no that's why you said like the like hair hair skin and the arm stuff you can't tell temperature no, it's more sensitive to thermal stimuli, I say. Okay. Hairy skin is more sensitive to thermal stimuli, and thus they thought it would be more perceptive to wetness. And this is like, yeah. a lot of the time, if you've got like, a cold, if you pick up a cold jacket or something, a cold towel, you yeah. go, oh, is that wet? And you actually have to check and look at it, see, is that wet? And it, it could not be. Because your brain has gone, okay, a cold thing with a certain texture is probably wetness. So your brain just goes, that's wet. And then it goes, oh, wait, should that be wet? And then you have to check it. Uh, no, I, 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 the, the, no, I disagree with this. Because that's just saying, like, with any other feeling, our brain goes, oh, yeah, no, it's this. Because we've learned that. No, it's not saying that with any other feeling. It's just saying, because we do not have specific liquid receptors in our skin, our brain has had to learn, put a few different ones together, and when that is, when those conditions are met, more than one, more than texture, pressure, water, uh, temperature, but those are the most important ones. Yeah, uh, but it I'm, goes ah. Oh, okay. That's- yeah. So this is what I'm saying. I'm disagreeing with the title because yeah, we don't have uh, H2O or liquid receptors in our bodies. We know that from yeah. our biology, but that doesn't mean uh, we don't know what wetness is. No, but I've never said we don't. I've just said it's a learned thing from other factors. It's not a direct sense, is my point here. It's not a direct thing like temperature, where we literally have temperature receptors in our skin. Yeah, but... It, it's a combination <laughs> I'm saying of the combination, though, means that we do. Just it's straight up. Yeah, yeah, okay. Right, I, I get your point now. Yeah. Uh, but- yeah, <laughs> you're right. But that, I think it's surprising to think that, okay, it's so easy to tell if something's wet but we don't actually have liquid receptors in our skin. I don't, I don't, I don't. I'm not, because then... Because it brings up issues, because our... Because then... Because if you, if you go underwater for, for too long, our hands change. Yeah. So surely there should be... There has to be some receptors that know that the liquid is there because they go... They add more grip, isn't Isn't that? Is that a fallacy? Am I, am, I, am, I, am I falling into a fallacy here? That if you submerge yourself for so long, you, your hands go wrinkly because it's trying to get more grippy. What? I mean, no. I, if you never heard this. Sure, no, that's not a thing. Uh, if they go wrinkly, sure, just because you're... 
<laughs> cells have soaked up some water uh, is what I've always imagined. More grip. <laughs> We're not frogs, mate. Well, maybe we are, and I'm about to be a fool. Laboratory, laboratory tests confirmed a theory that wrinkly fingers improve our grip on wet or submerged objects, working to channel away the water like rain treads in car tires. Right. So people often assume the wrinkle is the result of water passing into the outer layer of the skin and making it swell up. Yeah. So, yeah, more grip. Yeah, but is it a hypothesis or a theory, as they've claimed? Uh, scientists, uh, I think they've found the answer. So, you know. This is a non-refutable theory. In 2011, Mark Shigazi, an evolutionary neurobiologist uh, in Idaho, who is colleagues, suggested that wrinkling and being an active process must have been an evolutionary function. Uh, the pattern of wrinkling appeared to be optimized for providing a drainage network that improved grip. But until now, there was no proof that wrinkling fingers did act, in fact. Uh, so the latest study, participants picked up wet or dry objects, including marbles of different sizes with normal hands, with their fingers wrinkled after soaking them in warm water for 30 minutes. The subjects were faster at picking up wet marbles with wrinkled fingers than dry ones. But wrinkles made no difference. I have no doubt it has a benefit. Yeah, and they're saying, that saying this like is an evolutionary be trait thing. because the rest of oh, our body doesn't sure. do it. Well, maybe. But if it's the only paper, there's only one paper, I'm a bit sceptical. Well, how many papers is this theory that we don't have, you know, sensors to be able to tell if things are wet? Again, Quite a few. Sceptical. There's ah, the one main one, and ah, then there's people referencing it. We've got, a, we've got a reference list going on. Yeah, but if people uh, have referenced that yeah. paper, that, and that's the original that's been cited, that's not, that's, <laughs> the, that's not how we do science around here, Tom. That's not how we do science. Um... But yeah, either way, my point is we don't have actual liquid receptors. Uh, so you can trick your brain sometimes or accidentally into thinking things are wet that aren't. Uh, but yeah, so maybe I've never heard of that uh, more grippy thing before. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting thing. Oh, OK. I thought that was I maybe in one of those. play. It was a playground thing. I'm, I'm oh. sure for a while, but then, yeah. It, it does Odd. happen. Like if if you're like surfing and whatnot, and you're yeah, like, yeah. oh yeah, no, I'm glad my hands are wet because now I can actually grip the board better. No, I've never had that thought, but yeah, I see your point. Yeah. I see, I see you. <laughs> uh, there's also a helicopter hovering above my house, so I'm sorry if the crazy reverberations are coming in because I can see it on my recording. Uh, okay, it's not coming through for me, but it wouldn't. But okay, okay. Um, cool. Right, well, what have you got then? Uh, I've just picked a bunch of animals from the animal okay. kingdom and then picked up some senses and some things that are related specifically to them. Well, not okay. them alone, but like a specific type that is, you know, of you them. You can use it as an explanation. Yeah. For example, like electroreception isn't just for sharks. It's in platypus and other yeah. water-based creatures. <laughs> I was going to say fish, but then a platypus is not a fish, so that doesn't work. No, it's not. Could be, though. Could uh, be. Taurus, it probably fits in some kind of definition of fish. No, it lays eggs, so could be a fish. Well, there we go. Sorted. <laughs> like you heard it here first, guys. Chickens. Platypi- platypi? Platy- Plat- platypus. It's like sheeps, isn't it? You don't say sheeps. It's uncountable. Say sheep. 
plural, and plural of platypus is platypus. Well, oh. I, so I found this. Okay, this is another. I've, I, I do have a fact. I have a fact that I found out. Right. So, one fish it's called a fish. Two fish of the same species it's called a fish. Yeah. A group of fish of different species fishes. Yep. Like, who came up with that? Why is that a thing? Yeah, I don't know, but it is. It is a thing. Yeah. So is that like with sheep? It's like you have one. I was gonna say brand. Lol. <laughs> <laughs> you got one brand of sheep. You got a yeah. group of them, sheep. But if you have two different brands of sheep, does that make them sheep?s um, Or is it just a fish? Because if someone, I if don't it know is the if case, the rule carries over. Someone needs to clarify this for me. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it'd be the same with like, I don't know, because dogs is breeds, isn't it? It's not like. Yeah. Oh, and also, just we have the plural of dogs. <laughs> yeah, to be dogs. What an idiot! One dog, idiot. two dog. It doesn't really work. <laughs> no, not at all. Do you know what I have been watching recently? Uh, the old YouTube Shorts, right? Uh, great way to pass time at work. Anyway, for some reason, you know, it just randomly suggests these channels sometimes. Yeah. The one I've been watching is this lady just goes around shearing sheep. Okay, I can imagine and that being just, satisfying. It's, it's like. 30 second long video she explains a bit about the sheep if they're being an asshole or not uh, okay. if they're behaving well and <laughs> you know a bit about the fur and then she just shaves the sheep okay. uh, or a llama she did a llama the other day and uh, yeah that's some like ASMR stuff right there so my alternative for this that I very much enjoy uh, is grass cutting ah okay yeah that's yeah. that's my that's my current thing. Okay. Yeah, makes, I can makes see me that. feel good on the inside. Maybe I'll get suggested that at some point. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a guy, there's a guy that goes around and does it for free uh, and just does it for the, the videos. But now he's got two. He's doing really well. So his grass cutting, he did some like power washing in the grass cutting, but now the uh, power washing has become too popular by itself. So he's got two channels, one for his grass cutting and one for his power washing. Oh, well. I mean, people love that stuff, don't they? They do. They do. And they make video games of it. Like the power washing, the video game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did really well. Grass cutting, the video game, did really well. Like um, Home Flipper. Yeah, that one. Yeah. I did, that's, done, that's done numbers. Does this all come under ASMR? No, this is because ASMR is specifically hearing. Oh, is it? Right. Yeah. We'll have to do an episode on this kind of stuff because it's weird, like, how it. Yes, like oh, people pleasures the brain, you know. People that do like so, um, what's the the, the truck driver game? Oh, I forgot the name of it. Yeah, when they American do Euro truck simulator. Euro truck simulator. Euro truck simulator. Yeah, uh, I've played that and I've done like a, a three hour drive for four, and found it really enjoyable because I did have a podcast on and I had like I've got a full setup, <laughs> so I've got I've got the wheel yeah. and like the gear stick and all that sort of jazz. And find it very few therapeutic, but it's the people that do that for their job and then come home and think, you know what, I'm going to sit on the simulator for a while. I don't know. I mean, some people just really love that stuff, you know? They do, they do, they do. And I want to like it. Flight Simulator as well. I can understand Flight Simulator though, because that's like flying a plane and most people won't get the opportunity to fly a plane. The um, problem with Flight Simulator, right? Yeah. And it's all very well and exciting when you're when you're taking off and when you're landing, right? Yeah. 
But when you're flying, there's <laughs> nothing to look at. She's just going in a straight line. You've got been... three hours ahead of you of a slight turn right, <laughs> a, few... a slight turn left. You're looking at the dials. Oh, the one, dear. like, do you know what? It's not, not my kind of game. Yeah. Not my kind have of you, game. Well, have you seen the new flight simulator that came out last year? Uh, yeah. It's, it's really, really, really good in terms of visuals. So I yeah. can imagine that actually being really good if you had an interesting flight path, which you, you can do. They've got like flight paths that you can mix up. But and the idea okay. that you can you can fly anywhere now. So if you wanted to go fly over like where we used to live <laughs> and yeah. like around that area or down the coast of the UK, you can do that and it would actually be really good to like you can zoom in, fly around, fly quite low. Yeah, and but get you just a- go to Google Earth and press shift F. Yeah, that's true, but it's not as fun if you're flying not flying a plane. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. Fair one. All right. Well, what animal have you got? So my first one I picked, I always find quite interesting to go for a an apex predator because they, okay. they normally have like the systems in their bodies and the evolutionary design that makes them the apex. Yeah. So for sharks, it's, there's three things I picked out. The first is um, electroreception, which is, to summarize... The ability to detect electrical currents around them. Yeah. Uh, and in sharks, it's dialed to like a bajillion. <laughs> so <laughs> things like we talked before, the, the platypus and fish, some fish ha- also have electroreception, but it's quite, it's normally quite limited in the like sphere in their area. Yeah. But with sharks, the, the, the fact that I found is if two AA batteries were connected a thousand miles apart, a shark could detect if one ran out. Huh. Because that's how sensitive the electroreceptors are. Um, so what it's, a sen- what it's sensing, really, is uh, when you move any sort of muscle, so any living animal that moves a muscle, it creates electrical currents that fire around your body. And they can yeah. detect changes in that so like movement if you go fast if you go slower because it'll obviously be a higher voltage they can detect changes in that electrical current down to one billionth of a voltage it's not like they've got a counter in their head that's like 0.000001 but they'll be able to know the, the the change in the difference in it which is just like it just be like when you learn about it, it makes them scary. And we're not we're not here to villainize sharks. The sharks are friends, sharks are not foes. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's people that you know <laughs> go and uh, aggravate them. But yeah, that's, yeah, it's kind of scary, isn't it? It is. It's terrifying uh, to think like there could be a shark a thousand miles away, and it'd be like, ah, oh, there's a creature over there. I can detect it with my body. Yeah, but very few creatures produce. Double A batteries worth of voltage when moving. That is true. That is true. Imagine that a whale does. Counterpoint. Maybe this whole tail. Maybe like in total, but not at one specific muscle. Yeah, but it wouldn't be the whole. It'd be the body that it it, it would be sensing, ah, not right. just one specific okay. muscle. It's just like oh, yeah, yeah. I know that it's moving its toe. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm sensing its toe moving. It's like there'd be yeah. a body firing off over there. You ever swam with sharks? I haven't had the opportunity to swim with sharks. Yeah, and I'm not sure if I'd want to. 
not due to being like, oh, it's going to eat me, but I feel like, like most animal attractions, there's something nefarious oh, going yeah. on in the background. No, I wouldn't that. like, I wouldn't go there and, you know, start feeding them out of your hand, that kind of thing, yeah. which you can go do. But uh, I have swam with them just unintentionally, like they swam by. Huh. I got way too excited. You know, it was one of those things you think you'd be terrified. Yeah. And then I saw the shark. I think it was a... There was a bull shark around, or there were hammer, hammerheads around. Great hammerheads, which are the, the big ones. Yeah. Um, but I think the ones that we saw were nurse sharks. Um, and I just swam at them to try and get a better look. And then afterwards, I was like, huh? <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> Why did I, I do just that? swam at the shark. <laughs> yeah. What are you supposed to do? You know, no fear. Just punch it straight in the snout if it comes at you. Uh, have you seen the video of the guy that, like, suplexes a shark underwater? No. The shark's coming at him quite aggressively, and then he, like, grabs the snout, puts his hand underneath, then, like, rises it, the shark up vertically, and then, like, slams it down behind him. Oh, wow. <laughs> the, the shark was like, what the fuck's going on? And then just <laughs> swims off. I yeah. bet. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to mess with that. <laughs> yeah, well, to be fair, yeah. It's two, th- two, two creatures that don't want to mess with each other. <laughs> he was just like, nah, get away from me. That's mad. Oh, but yeah, all right. They can detect us from halfway around the world. Yeah. Easily. Easily. Even on land, actually. Really? No. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think so. <laughs> halfway around the world, also a bit of a stretch. Yeah. Thousand miles. Uh, the next thing that I can't pronounce, but I know that you can because you said it before. Ampule de Lorenzi. I. Ampule of Lorenzini. Yep. So that D is the French version, I guess. De. Oh, yeah. Of the de Lorenzi, which are pores along the body of the shark, which are filled with conductive jelly. Yeah, so all fish have these. Yeah, I can't imagine Along their body. Yeah. So if you look at a fish, what is it called? Uh, if you look at all fish, they'll have a line going down. You mean the both sides the, of their body? The lateral line. The lateral line. That's the yeah. one. I should know that as a marine biologist. It's a sensory anyway, organ. Anyway, yeah, which is a fascinating thing. Yeah. Sorry, go for it. So it's a sensory organ that that not just fish, amphibians also have that stretch down from the side of their gills. All the way to the tail. So if you look at a shark, most are a, a shade or colour of blue on the top and lighter on the bottom. Big generalisation. But when you when you think of like stereotypical shark, that's what you go for, I guess. Um, yeah. And along that line, which changes from the white to the blue, you've got the, the lateral line. And this is essentially yeah. like hollow tubes covered in a modified uh, epithelial. Cell. Ephelial. Ephelial is a great is a great pronunciation. I, I prefer yours over mine. We're both right, but I prefer yours. <laughs> <laughs> the ephelial cells. It's just the uh, top layer of skin. Yeah. Which yeah. have hair cells that possess bundles of uh, 50, 50 microbial hairs, which function as mechanoreceptors. Nailed it. Is that was that right? Did I nail that? Yeah, mechanoreceptors. Yeah. yeah, you nailed it. So mechanoreceptors are sensory receptors that respond to mechanical pressures or distortions. So, and this this is because if humans had this, it'd be so weird. So 
This system allows sharks to sense water displacement, pressure, and direction. Yeah. So using these sensors, these la- the lateral line system can be used to follow vortices, be able to be able to sense and follow vortices. It would be like humans having the ability to sense air movement and be able to see it and follow it. So if someone passed you then walked away, you'd be able to follow the displacement of the air. Yeah. Which is absolutely madness. Yeah, it's wild. Like, he, it's one of the things where you're like, hey, Vice Predator, you're like, when you start, you're like, oh, yeah, he must be good at hunting. They read why. You're like, oh, this guy's got a good rap sheet. <laughs> like, his CV yeah. for being an Apex Predator makes sense. It's also really interesting as well, because you'll look at sharks and it'll go directly across their, like, mid line, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, pretty much exactly halfway from top to bottom. But you'll look at other fish that use maybe their pectoral fins for movement. And they have a big loop in their lateral line that goes really high up on their body to avoid their own fins, like making disturbances oh, that they detect all the time. Okay. But because fishes, pe- because sharks' pectoral fins are fairly stationary most of the time, uh, they don't need to make that avoiding line in their lateral line. That's pretty cool. Makes sense. Fun Makes fact. 100% sense, though. Yeah. Imagine if you were someone like round our belly button. Like, just around. <laughs> would, would it go... <laughs> Would it go feet to ear, or would it go belly button and around? Do you reckon if you was have one? I, w- I would suspect feet to ear to be more useful. Um, or like to armpit? Is it difficult? Yeah, cause, cause you, one. yeah, I would say armpit. I'd say like round your neck. Yeah. Okay. Only because if it went feet to, if you think about the way the shark swims. Yeah, it swims I think head first, so it makes sense going along laterally. Yeah, lateral line. So for us, you couldn't have it on your belly because your arms would trigger it all the time. But around like the top of your head, or around your neck, or something would give you three sixty. Yeah. Ah, oh, like a like a headband Air detection. You know, you got like a really yeah. thin like forehead headband. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And we just all have like a cutout of hair where there's just this line. Yeah. Going through our head. Yeah. That's where that. I'd put it. Best place. We'd all look weird, but uh nah, we wouldn't, I guess that, we'd that would be, be used the, to it. Yeah, that'd be the norm. <laughs> you couldn't grow your hair out though. Well you well, we, do you know what? To, like, as a race above the line no, you have to shave it. No humans as a race, we probably would, because we'd probably get to the point where we'd be like, you know what? Screw this line. We don't need to hunt anymore, we don't need it. Yeah. It's like maybe we had one. Wait, there's, it. there's some I think it's a comedian that says like even if humans had the ability to fly you know that most people wouldn't do it and would just see it as like exercise like running like people don't go for most a lot of people just don't go for jogs and don't run because we're just like oh we don't need to do that anymore we don't need this for, for survival but I think that's the difference between flying would be the equivalent of walking right but like high speed flying would be the equivalent of going for a jog hmm. but most people don't go for walks like it the, so no, this is quite a like maybe you need to fly around for work, you know, like a um, generalization of Americans. But the the stories that I've heard from people that have been to America and been out and around in America is like they just don't walk places; like they just get a car everywhere. Yeah, like in the UK, like we we walk a lot. We got a lot of pavements, um, especially in the city. We walk a hell of a lot. Uh, yeah. So yeah, 
my reason for like getting back into running is if they're like apocalypse starts or I need those legs you need like, those good legs I'm not, I'm going to need some distance to my run like I need minimum <laughs> 5 kilometers I need to be able to run um <laughs> like if it all kicks off I need to be able to get out of Bristol to somewhere that isn't as you know pop- populous populated yeah, yeah. I think I'm just going to accept my fate to be honest <sighs> that's true you're in Italy aren't like, you like oh, screw it you know see the grace is like that we had a good run she's just like oh zombies <laughs> tapping out <laughs> oh no, no I'm sticking around for the zombie apocalypse I think it depends on the apocalyptic scenario yeah zombies just sticking around that's, that's a different one I've heard from a lot of people a lot of people are just like nah zombies is the thing that would be horrific and I'm not sticking around for oh it would be horrific yeah um I'd probably run out of inhalers pretty quickly. Yeah. So a lot of people have said like, but the afterwards, you just wouldn't be able to live. It'd be awful. I'm like, yeah, that's part of the challenge though, isn't it? It's part of life. Just, it's difficult. <laughs> Bring on the zombie apocalypse. Like, we all need a challenge. Come yeah. on. 20, <laughs> 2019 to 2022 haven't been bad enough. <laughs> I was thinking about this. Yeah. Yeah. So people are like, oh yeah, but why would you want to have like, because a lot of people died off. You have to cherry pick whatever house you want. Like well, that's true, you know. It's not we're in the UK, so gun violence isn't going to be as high, like gun on gun survivor esque fighting. Yeah, Italy's quite low on that chart as well. Yeah. So, you know, I have a plan. Like you could section off a part of the city, one house at a time, one house at a day. Yeah, it'd be secure a house, secure a house, and move move on. And the great thing is here, there's just lots of like really incredibly rich apartment complexes um nice. like as in four thousand euros a week to stay in oh, kind of places um so if you get into one and secure it you are living the life well i think i would do food, have you seen that uh i think it's a french zombie movie where it's one guy alone in a flat and he like cuts his way through the floor Okay. And then through a wall. I think I'd probably do that because I live yeah, like on, expand the, out. on the front. So I think I would probably not try and knock, not initially, I would go around to the door, try and clear out the <laughs> the, the flat next to us, and then yeah. block it off the stairs and then knock through the wall. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. One flat at a time. Mm-hmm. And create escapes that obviously zombies can't go. So climbing... Is a great version of escape. Yeah, yeah. It depends on the zombies, I suppose. But this is talk for another episode. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> right. Definitely, we'll, we'll get too deep otherwise. Moving on, have you got an animal you want to talk about? Uh, I don't have an animal specifically, but I have ah. a sense. Okay, what's your sense? Uh, which is echolocation. Oh, I've got something on this as well. Do you know there's something called a megabat and a microbat? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I want to read it because I was like, because. Obviously, echolocation is quite... So it comes up a lot. And it's one of the things like, are bats blind? Do they use echolocation? And be like, no, bats are not blind. They can obviously use their eyes. And they actually have actually got really sensitive eye vision. But echolocation is something. Thing. But during my research, it was like, here is a mega bat. And I was like, the <laughs> F is a mega bat. Well, well, I can't ignore that, can I? <laughs> but yeah, continue. What is echolocation? All right, so uh, me being me, I obviously have to shoehorn some stuff in about whales and dolphins at some point. So here we go. Um, (laughs) So echolocation is used by a few different animals, as you 
as you just said, bats being one of them, mm-hmm. uh, dolphins, whales, humans, as I gave out in my little oh, yeah, yeah. news last week. You can learn that in 10 weeks. Have you been practicing? I have, yeah. The issue okay, being right. my office is quite echoey in here, so it kind of makes it a bit more difficult. Maybe that's good. You can learn to tune it out ah, or focus okay. on the one click. <laughs> um, now, I want to say echolocation is much more powerful in water, but I guess it depends on your adaptation adaptations, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, I'm going to focus on cetaceans because I am. Yeah. Um. But when we speak about echolocating cetaceans, we're only speaking about our toothed whales. So dolphins, porpoises, killer whales, sperm <laughs> whales, those kind of things. Um, if you think about your blue whales and your humpbacks with the baleen, you know, thing that eat a lot of fish at once and then filter out the water. As far as we know so far right now, we haven't detected sort of echolocation, but maybe they use vocalizations in other ways. Mm. Um, anyway, yeah, echolocation is you make a click you wait for the echo and the brain will kind of determine from the length of the echo and how the echo has been changed as to maybe what that material is made of, how far away it is, what other distortions it's made, Mm -hmm. um, that kind of thing. And it's actually produced some really interesting adaptations in prey fish, like some fish that are really common uh, prey fish of cetaceans don't have a swim bladder anymore. Because if you've got a swim bladder, which is full of air, it makes a really obvious... It's like basically pointing out a giant sign, I am here, but to sound. Okay. Because you create a click and it just bounces off the massive air sac in the middle of the water right back to you and go, oh, there's the fish. So some prey fish have kind of evolved to not have um, a swim bladder because it makes them really easy to detect. Now, dolphins use sound to detect size, shape, speed of objects, even 100 yards away. And it's so precise that it can determine the difference between a golf ball and a ping pong ball just on density. Oh, density. Okay. So, because it'll get an echo back from both, but the echo from a golf ball will be a lot more solid, let's say. The structure will be maintained a lot more than from a ping pong ball. So... How do they produce their clicks? Now, dolphins have something called monkey lips. Okay, that doesn't sound PC, but we're going to roll with it. It doesn't sound PC, but that's the actual scientific name. You can call them phonic lips as well, I suppose. That sounds better. Let's go go with phonic lips. Yeah, yeah. Is (laughs) the other one. Um, So in their blowhole, they've got two sets of, or yeah, two sets of phonic lips, right? Uh, that they use to produce whistles and clicks. And there is some theory, like maybe they use the left one for clicks and the right one for whistles, because sometimes they do it at the same time. Mm-hmm. But interestingly is a lot of people, or some studies have used air leaving the blowhole to be like, oh, that dolphin's vocalizing. But not the case, because they recycle their air. Like they have a, n- a sack in their nose that they push air through to make the whistle. And then they push it back through to reuse the air again for vocalizing. Okay. Anyway, I'm going a bit too deep here. Um, basically, sound is created just below the blowhole, right? But if you've ever looked at a dolphin, you know, they've got like a weird like football-shaped head, right? At the front, it's like curved. Yeah. That's called the melon. 
Right, okay. Very scientific. Yeah. The melon like the monkey of a dolphin or cetacean. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so you've got blowhole <laughs> underneath, you've got the monkey phonic lips. Yep. Right? Uh-huh. In front of that, you've got the melon, which Ye- is like this weird jelly-shaped... It looks like an American football, really, right? Yeah. Rugby ball for us British people. And they use that. If it's relaxed, the sound is very omnidirectional, right? Okay. But they have muscles to focus the sound into like a beam. So if you have, imagine you, you were shining a light, <laughs> yeah, right? And you had a series of lenses that gradually focus the light into a single beam. Yeah. They do that, but with sound. Ah, okay. Makes sense. And that's how they get like a really super directional click and clear click that they can then focus on the the echo of. So that's really cool. And basically, to detect the sound, obviously dolphins do have ears where you'd expect them to, like on the sides of their heads. They have little dimples. Yeah. But they're closed. uh, Because obviously, imagine getting air or water stuck in really weird places. It's not going to be comfortable. So what they actually use to detect sound is their lower jaw. Right. So the sound wave speed through the water bounces off the object and reflects back to the dolphin. Yeah. It hits their lower jaw right, yeah. where fat-filled cavities, just like the ampullae of Lorenzini, if you imagine it like that, yeah. in the dolphin's lower jaw receive the sound waves. Right, yeah. Then that shakes up to either basically goes directly to the middle ear because the, obviously the lower jaw, like ours, is connected close to our ear if you follow it all the way up. Yeah. And that's where the acoustic picture is created. So it goes lower jaw, middle ear bone, which is still there, like ours are, and then to the brain. Right. So that's how they detect sound. But maybe not how people thought. Oh. But yeah, very interesting. Hmm. Also, dolphins can't smell. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> they have a lack of sense. They don't have an olfactory sense. Yeah, but you don't need that when you're underwater, do you? No, we think they just taste. Yeah, that would make more sense. Instead of it? smelling. Yeah. Um, but it's <laughs> on <laughs> the fence, on the fence. But would you say that smelling if you're tasting the water to do directions? Because no, there is, there is uh, a creature that does do that, and I can't remember which one it was. I think it depends. Like, are you using taste... Well, in human language, anyway, taste is very much associated with the pleasure of eating, right? Or eating, yeah. at least. Whereas dolphins, I don't think really taste their food. They just swallow whole. Yeah, okay. So, catfish, uh, sense of taste, uh, they have the highest sense of taste, if you didn't know. Oh. Like they're they're, very, they're uh, fussy eaters. I did not expect that yeah, they, from a fish. And it's to do with their whiskers. And their whiskers have more than... 175,000 sensitive taste cells compared okay. to the average person who only has 10,000 taste buds. Um, well, we suck, don't we? Yeah, we do. We're missing out. But then you've got things like cavefish who have great hearing because, A, they're in the pitch black. They don't really have eyes. <laughs> okay, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, but they can detect the slightest noise at one kilohertz or even lower. And if you've done a noise test... No way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this efficiently lets them locate the prey and filter out unnecessary noise in their surroundings. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. That's very cool. Mm. 
No, you reminded me of seals' whiskers. Now, okay, tell us about them. Which are the most sensitive whiskers in the world? In the whole entire world. In the whole entire world, the okay. most sensitive whiskers are those of seals and sea lions. And they did a test, right, where they dragged a fake fish, or maybe it was a real but dead fish, on a string through the water. And they were like, okay, if the seal was using its eyes, then it would just follow in a straight line. But they made it do this really weird curvy pattern, right? And it followed the curvy pattern exactly. Right. And it was murky water, so it couldn't see any anyway. Um, but up to like a minute after the fish had been dragged through, because it could detect the vortices that the, of the water movement, mm-hmm. even against the current of the water, it could still detect where the fish had been. Right. Which is scary on another level, but really, really interesting. And that's why, especially in Scotland, we have a lot of blind seals that just get on perfectly fine. Yeah, water's not too clear in Scotland, is it? Yeah. That, that, that as well. But they always come back to the same beach every year, even if they're blind. Yeah, but could that be to do with magnetic fields? Oh, a bit of magnetoreception, maybe. Yes. Just like uh, in a recent thing, in recent uh, research and discovery, bees. They prove, they prove that bees, yeah, they use uh, magnetic fields using a magnetic structure in their abdomen specifically. They use it to navigate. I did not know that. Yeah, so a team of physicists and biologists in Canada came to the conclusion by carrying out a series of physics and behavioural experiments on the insects, uh, which showed that they have a sensory ability can be disrupted using strong permanent magnets. No way. Yeah, so... um, <laughs> I, I, I only read this up quite recently, actually. Um, so to prove that they've got, they called um, magnetoreception. I'm not sure that's what you said. Um, magnetoreception, but yeah, yeah. Uh, they 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 kind of knew that the, the bees used this, but kind of didn't, hadn't proved it and didn't know kind of how it worked within their bodies. So what the team did was they dissected some bees into the abdomen, the thorax, and the head. They then crushed the sections and made them into pellets. And then they used a superconducting quantum interface device known as a squid. Well, that just sounds cool. uh, To measure the magnetization of each pellet as it was exposed to and applied magnetic fields on very strength from different directions. And they found that the abdomen had uh, some uh, a response to the magnets. Wow. Yeah. What a weird way to go about it. But I mean, it works. So fair yeah. play. So what they then did... To, to prove this even further in the behavioural side of things, because that's more on the physics side of things, they, the, the team then used a permanent magnet to expose live honeybees to a magnetic field of 2.2 KOE, which is uh, kilograms of energy. I can't remember what the KOE stands for. But it's kind of, to put it in perspective, it is several thousand times stronger than the Earth's magnetic field. Uh, and they okay. exposed the bees for five seconds. <clears throat> 
And then they redid the squid experiment. So they, you know, chopped it up, put it, put it through. And they found that um, it was more strongly magnetized from the pellets that came out of it. Oh, wow. So obviously the, the external ma- magnet affected the internal magnet and made it more magnetic. So it was like a, what do you call it when it's this ferro? Ferromagnetism? Which has right. that effect. Um, but then they, to check the behavioral side of things, they then had a look at like the food source. So they uh, got some live bees and to see how they would navigate to the food source, they first trained a group of bees to locate some sugar as a reward in an environment where electricals created a magnetic field. Half of the trained bees were then magnetized and their performance compared with the unmagnetized group, uh, they found that the magnetized bees could then no longer find the reward. Ah. Suggesting that they had disrupted their magnetoreceptors in that whole magnetization process. Which, yeah. That's pretty mad. I mean, imagine just living your best life and then <laughs> yeah, you're just flying around and then someone turns a big magnet on, you get sucked <laughs> towards this magnet and then you can no longer get around. <laughs> it's not they get sucked towards it. <laughs> no, but that's in my head. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, that's funny. Yeah. But so what the study doesn't provide direct information about the biological mechanisms involved in bees. Uh, magnetoreception it does show that it exists and they were able to disrupt the sense so it opens like yeah. the the gateway to further inquiries about how it works because they've narrowed down okay. the location of where that system in a bee exists so specifically in its that's really cool yeah i thought it was really awesome kind of on like that that vein uh and also kind of mixed with your electroreception and bees right mm-hmm. um did you know bees have a positive charge? I did. Like when I, they're flying. No, I didn't. And it's know built that. up from their wings, right? Because they flap so fast. Okay. Um, and flowers. Oh, yes, I did know have this. a negative Sorry. charge. Yeah. Right. So when a bee visits a flower, it can detect the negative or the opposite charge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it lands on it, and then another bee will come along, and if there's not that kind of negative charge, it knows it's already been visited. Yes. And that it's probably not worth, because over time, the plant will build up a negative charge again. And in that time, the pollen will be back. Yeah. Would you, is that a sense, do you think? Uh, I'd say so. It must do, yeah. There, I'd there say must it be classes as a sense. There must be something in, in the bee that knows the yeah, charge. They, it's a, it changes their perception or their decision, right? Yeah. To visit that flower or not. So I, I class it as a sense, which is really cool. It's like, yeah. Imagine like charged, just walking along bees. and your thighs start creating a charge. And then if you like touched a door, you then like negatively charged it. So anybody else would know that someone's entered. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone getting shaky thighs. Wow. <laughs> what an image. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're slightly over the hour. Do you have anything else you want to mention? I do. I do. But... Uh... You know, I was going to talk about the megabats, but we'll have to wait for a different episode for for megabats. We'll come back to weird and wonderful creatures at some point, and we can uh, we can do the megabats. Yeah, wicked yeah. stuff. Then, um, cool. So I guess that'll bring us to the end of today's show. So don't forget to share this with your magnetized bees, your friends, families, co-workers, <laughs> scientists, uh, dog, 
every listen counts. And if you want more information, then you can follow us Twitter, Info Entropy Pod, Instagram, Information Entropy Pod, and wherever you're listening to this right now. Don't forget to drop a like, a rating, whatever it is you're able to do. Indeed. So I hope we've managed to decrease some of the entropy of information in your lives. And yeah. uh, I think we tangented quite on and off a bit there. <laughs> we did. But, uh, but it's all good. That's what you end. come here for. Yeah. I know it. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> Wicked. Anything else to shout out then, mate? That is it for me today. Awesome source. I'm never going to say that again. (laughs) Please don't. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Uh, We'll catch you guys on the flip side. Peace. Peace. Peace.